Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Holy heartbeat! Welcome to another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Excellent! With your host, Brad Allen. Well, isn't that extra special? Recorded live at Bay Area Studios. Join Brett each week as he interviews celebrities, influencers, authors, high-level entrepreneurs, and much more. At the open mic, no topic is off limits. Giddy up. And you never know who may stop by. Now, here's your host, Brett Allen. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the podcast. I'm calling this the Quarantine Chronicles because we recorded this episode during quarantine. Well, just towards the end of it, comedian and actor Steve Byrne is on the line. He's in the studio. We're going to talk to him here in just a moment. He's actually back out touring right now, which is fantastic. And we have a fun and and just a delightful conversation. One of the nicest and sweetest people on the planet. I hope everybody's healthy and happy. Let's bring on Steve. Steve, welcome into the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I'm excited to chat with you. And of course, I have a lot of questions. But the big one is, how has quarantine been for you? And are you ready for it to be over? I, I might be like in the minority here, but I kind of love it. <laughs> so I mean, I, I, you know, I've been on the road so much lately that, uh, that especially the first two weeks, it was it was just like, this is fucking great. I get to just kind of, you know, there's no responsibilities. It's like, there's nothing to do. So I was just eating like shit and watching everything I wanted. And maybe after like the, around the third week, it's like, oh, this is, this is kind of real. <laughs> and then I wanted to get back to work. So I've got a lot of work done over the quarantine. But the, the great thing for me is just been spending time with my family because it's, it's tough when you're on the road, um, you know, 40 plus weeks a year. And, uh, that that's been the most enjoyable part for me. Yeah, I can imagine so. And I've actually talked to a couple other comics like yourself who travel a lot and they've said the mm-hmm. same thing. Are you naturally an introvert or an extrovert? I mean, what we see on stage is fantastic, but when it comes to just downtime, do you like being around a lot of people or are you just more like, this is kind of my jam, just kind of staying to myself? Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that. I was just having a conversation with a good friend of mine the other day about this, and I I've always been more recluse. I've always been more introverted. I've always been more of a homebody. Um, so as much as I like to perform on stage, and you know, once I get to the club, you know, I have no problems being outgoing and talking to anybody and being friendly. But uh, the minute I'm away from a comedy club environment. Uh, I pretty much kind of keep to myself. So it's, 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 I know it sounds odd knowing the profession, but yeah, I, I think I'm just one of those people that prefers to be by himself. And that's why even being on the road is kind of nice. Cause I, I, I don't mind. I actually prefer to, I would love to go to a hockey game by myself because I could just put my, my, you know, put the, the play by play announcer on <laughs> and I can watch the game play out in real time and not talk to anybody keep my headphones in. Um, I like going to movies by myself. I like eating by myself. Uh, it's not to say I don't enjoy the company because when I'm on the road, I, I'll find out who's at the neighboring club or the other club or the comp- competitions club. And usually we'll meet up for lunch or dinner or some drinks afterwards. So I, I you know, I'm not a total dork or you know society outcast or something, but, but I do enjoy my time by myself. Yeah, I can imagine. And it's not that horribly surprising because when you're out and you're at the club, you're at you're operating at full capacity, right? You're talking to people, 
and everybody wants your attention. But it's interesting that you say that going to a hockey game by yourself, because when my father was alive and he would go to sporting events, he would do the same thing. He put on his yeah. headphones with his Walkman back in the day for yeah. people listening who don't know what a Walkman is. It was before iPods, but you could listen to radio stations and you could listen to the commentators talk. And my dad absolutely loved that. So I get it. It makes perfect sense. And I'm certain too, when you're out and you're just in public, so to speak, people probably come up to you all the time and they probably want to take pictures and, and that sort of thing. So I, I can see that it makes perfect sense. You said you've gotten a lot done during quarantine. Have you been spending a lot of time writing? Are you developing new television? Like what's, what's that been looking like for you as far as what you can share? Yeah. I, look, I, I've basically kind of, I've, been consistent with being on the road, but once Solomon and Son went off the air, wrap my head around that because it was a, uh, it was a great experience. But but when you get kind of the rug pulled out from underneath you, there is that period where you're just like you know you you had a show on the air and you kind of sink into a, a bit of a depression and and you know you question all the what ifs et cetera et cetera, and then you get back to work right. You pull you pull yourself back up, you dust off, you can get back to work. And I got back to work, but. I didn't know what I exactly I wanted to do, and I had gotten offered a, a show on Netflix, and I turned it down because I was just like, once you're, once you're kind of steering the ship, producing and writing and starring in something, it, it's tough to be a utility player again. So, so I just kind of more or less dived into creating my own experiences um, as opposed to auditioning and hoping you get the job. So I wrote and directed a feature film called The Opening Act that was supposed to premiere in July just for laughs, but due to the yes. coronavirus and quarantine, et cetera, et cetera. So it looks like we're going to kick the can down the road. And we do have uh, a premiere date set. Um, I can't announce it yet, but but it, it looks like it's going to come out in the fall. So once I had the experience of doing the Amazing Jonathan documentary that I directed and then this film that I wrote and directed, I thought it's better to just create stuff on your own. So I had outlined a feature film um, that I'm contracted with uh, Overbrook, which is Will Smith's company, to to turn into. I uh, had a deal with them. And I had the outline done, and I was getting ready to write it, and then everything happened. And I thought, well, no better time to write it than now. So so I finished that script, and then I wrote... I, I finished that script quick enough that I was able to write a television script. And... Um, and then drop a, a pitch for another a, um, another television show that I wanted to do for a long time. So, so I you know I have three projects that I'm ready to go with as soon as everything kind of clears up. Wow, you've been busy, my friend. Writing that's a lot of work, and I don't think people realize what it takes to create on that level, especially if you're writing, directing, and starring all at the same time simultaneously maintaining a very successful comedy career and traveling half of the year. I want to talk to you. I have two questions because it just happened to pop into my head when you mentioned it. Sullivan and Sons, by the way, that was a fantastic show. I, I binged watch that quite some time ago. And then, of course, yeah, absolutely. And when time passed and I reached out to you and you agreed, I was very excited because that, that was just such a fun show. But, of course, unfortunately, the way the industry works – crap happens and i'm sure that was right, yeah. a big shock uh just to put it lightly but what 
type of what does a day look like for you when you're doing that? Like you're writing this show and then you have to do your stand up and now you've got a family. Like how do you time manage all of that? How how does that work? Are you talking about when the show is on the air? Well, when the show is on the air, I mean, just generally speaking, like you're writing a show, you're starring in it, you're out on the road on the weekends performing, you've got a family, like how do you manage all of that? Just generally speaking, like how does, how does that work for you? Yeah, well, look, the, the reality of it is that you're basically six to eight months of the year is wrapped around the show. So because you can work your whole career and never even get a show, you know that you have a finite window to really make an impact. So when the show was in pre-production or production um, or even post-production when it was airing, um, my wife was on, she was, she's always been very patient, but she was under the understanding that, uh, look, we got to maximize and do everything we can to keep the show on the air and garner viewers. So, you know, a typical day would be i get up at 8 or 9 in the morning, head over to the Warner Brothers studio lot, meet up with the writers, go over, you know, the script beforehand. Uh, You know, it depends if you're in pre-production, then you're writing with them all day. Uh, During production, you just basically kind of show up on set and you walk through the whole episode over the course of four or five days. And you have your producer run through, you have your network run through, then you have your rehearsal and then you have your tape day. Um, so it's, you have five days basically to memorize, you know, your blocking, which is where you stand and camera positions and, and rehearsing with all the other actors and actresses. And then, um, your tape day and, you know, then on the weekends, it depends if it was towards the end of the season and the show was on the air. Yeah. Me, Roy Wood Jr. on Benjamin and Ahmed Ahmed would hit the road. And we'd go to New York City for a weekend. We'd go to Philadelphia for the weekend. We'd go wherever we could, any of the top major markets. And we would get on radio, and we would promote the shows and do comedy shows. And then we'd fly back, and then we'd have a summer tour when the shows were on the air. And uh, we did everything we could to promote the hell out of that show. And I think we did a good job because we always averaged at least 2 million viewers per episode. So we were always pretty proud of that fact. And uh and yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd see my kids when I could. Fortunately for me, they were much younger when the show was on the air. Now they're at the age where they're very aware of everything, so it's a, it's a lot tougher to <laughs> to get away <laughs> these days. So uh, they they've been nothing but great. Um, you know, even in the opening act, they they understood that dad was going to be pretty much gone for a month. So they um, they actually came down to set a few times and. They're actually in the movie, which was kind of fun. There, there's a nice little moment where they get a nice laugh. Uh, they have some interaction with Jimmy O. Yang, who's the star of the film. So, so I try to, I, I try to bring them on the road with me as much as I can. And if there's a project that they're, you know, aware of and can contribute, then I'd love to implement them in any form or fashion. And they're at the age now where if if something does bubble up down the road, of course I'd have them on set to to witness everything, but hopefully incorporate them. That's fantastic. So they're pretty aware of what dad does. Like, do they get the fact that you're this huge celebrity and and comic and and does that translate to them or are you just dad and they get to be a part of this fantastic world that you've created? Yeah, I think I'm just dad. You know, they, 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 (laughs) like most, like most kids, you always hear, you know, they think that what their parents do is uncool. I think that they're I think that they enjoy it. I don't think they realize the gravity of what it is. But, you know, when they've been to shows with me, 
you know, if it's a seven o'clock show, they'll come by and hang out backstage. And then my kids have come out and introduced me or, you know, usually I'll know the MC and they'll go out with the MC and introduce me. So they've, they've gone out in front of 200, 300, 400 people, uh, at times New Year's Eve, they went out in front, of, I think 600 people in Irvine. So, so it is pretty, pretty wild to see these two little bodies just walk out, no fear and grab the microphone and (laughs) introduce me. It's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, so I, you know, I think that they're happy with what I do, but I, I, the one thing I've always been aware of is trying to avoid talking about them because I remember years ago, like Louis CK called one of his daughters a cunt on stage. Oh God. Yeah. That was, he's done that several times. Like, I was like, man, that's that's brutal. Because one day this girl's going to be in junior high school or high school. They're all going to pull out their phones and like, you know, show your dad called you that. Isn't that crazy? And I don't think that you realize the impact or significance that that could have emotionally on a child. You know, I'd be sitting there going, "Does my dad really think I'm a cunt?" It's like, <laughs> and people are laughing, and you'd feel embarrassed and stuff. So, I've always been aware from the jump, like. I just don't want to address them too much. I don't want to talk about them too much. And then it also kind of neuters you, I think. Then you become the family comic, and you're all of a sudden Eddie Murphy doing these, you know, family Disney movies. And I was like, man, I don't want to do that shit to myself either. So <laughs> I just try to avoid avoid that, that area. That is hilarious. Well, I plead the fifth on anything to say about Louie. But, yeah, he did say that, yeah. and I just couldn't believe that, to be honest. I was quite shocking. I watch everybody. You, I've interviewed some really cool people like yourself, comics, whoever the case might be. And everybody I talk to, it's an equal playing field because it's not one person is more popular than the other. It's just like, this is a great opportunity that we have to have a good organic conversation. And I've noticed about your comedy, because I was going through some of your sizzle clips and all of that just prior to having you on. And I don't think you, I don't think you've ever talked about your kids. I know there are other comics that do, like Jim Gaffigan. I think a lot of his comedy is centered around his kids, but he doesn't bash them. You know what I'm saying, or say anything negative. Yeah. Uh, you know, calling them a cunt or whatever. Uh, that's so bad. Like I didn't even remember that until you mentioned it. Um, well, that's great. You've kind of decided to not pigeon your pigeonhole yourself in that realm. You know, like doing. Uh, you know, Netflix, uh, family movies and things like that. But, uh, you, you, that's funny. You brought up something interesting though, when you said that you had an opportunity to do something with Netflix. And I have a question about that because, and this is sort of a two parter, I guess you could say, but it seems like now that Netflix has kind of become like the new Comedy Central or the new MTV or I don't know, you know, this hub for, specials and and that sort of thing was there something that particularly if if you want to answer this that kind of diverted you from that that just wasn't of interest because i feel like now everybody is on netflix these days it's just like every day they're releasing something new whether it's a film or a special i'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that steve yeah look i you know i think every comic you know if there's a, you know, they're the Ed Sullivan show, right? I mean, they're the biggest showcase for comedic talent right now. And so if you're a comic and you can get an hour special on there, all the power to you, you know, that's great. Now, it doesn't mean 
it's going to be significant. It right. doesn't mean it's going to blow up. Um, for every Ali Wong that's had a successful special, there's five others that I guarantee have been on the platform that you you didn't even know that they had an hour special on there. And no. I think that's part of the problem is the fact that they're just pumping out an hour every week. And I think what they're doing is focusing on quantity, not quality. And you're seeing a lot of repeat business by certain comedians, and we all know who they are. Exactly. And I, I think that the, the 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 hour specials that are being churned out, especially on repeat, are not their best work. And I, I think if they just took two and a half years, maybe three, instead of every year, I just think that the quality would resonate more. And I think what's happening is you see in a cash grab, and it at the end of the day is going to potentially not do not do wonders for their career i i think you know the the look here's the thing it's tough to stay relevant these days mm-hmm. so i don't it's a double edged sword i don't blame anybody for doing a repeat hour special within one year like if they're offering you six figures it's like take the money and run strike while it's hot right strike the iron while it's hot the problem is, is that that's a sprinter's mentality, right? If you're thinking of the marathon, you've got to think long game. And I think sometimes that some of the comics don't. And again, I don't blame them because it's so hard to stay relevant. I mean, you, 10, 12 years ago, you could have a Comedy Central hour special like I did, and you could tour for two, two and a half, maybe three years off of that one special. And in the 80s, you could have one hour special and tour for that for 10 years. And nowadays... Because there's very successful podcasters like Theo or Bert or Tom, and and Burr, and they're and they're they're constantly pumping out new relevant literally every day. Um, how do you compete with that if you don't have that successful podcast? If you don't have a successful, you know, if Netflix hasn't anointed you and, and welcomed you into their club, because um, there's certainly a group of outcast comics like myself and a bunch of others that are pretty prominent and relevant, but for some reason or another, we just are not their cup of tea. So you got to find other avenues. And I think that's why I was like, all right, well, if I don't have an hour special, I have one ready, right? I have one ready to go and Netflix turned me down essentially. And I thought that the premise of it was really fantastic, but I just don't think that they understood what it was. And I said, all the hour specials are the same. It's somebody in front of a curtain talking for an hour. I want the aesthetic of mine to be different. So I pitched a, doing a talk, a talk show, but I'm the only one on the talk show. So I would come up and do 20 minutes of monologue on the set of a talk show in front of the curtain, like where most talk shows do an opening monologue. Then I would do panel for 20 minutes, which is you go sit by the desk and that's storytelling. And then it's pure stand-up where you do stand-up next to the band. So the set would look like a talk show. It's three different styles of writing. It's quick one-liners, monologue style storytelling and traditional stand-up and aesthetically it would look like the set of a talk show so i don't think that they understood the concept i don't know what it was but they they just said no and i said well i'm going to keep doing this on the road until i get the opportunity because i believe in it so much in the meantime what will i do to stay relevant and so i wrote the opening act that feature film and i thought i'm going to do the one thing no comic's ever done Every comic could have a successful hour special, but nobody's pulled off doing a really great fil- feature film that specifically is about stand-up comedy, and I believe that I did that. And so hopefully that will be the one thing that can help me, you know, 
go back in the spotlight and stay relevant for a brief amount of time until somebody else does something wonderful again. Yeah, and I, I would say that arguably you are very prominent. I, I mean, I know who you are in my mind comparatively you're the top as far as comics and i'm not just saying that to just say it but i really do believe that and that was one of the reasons why i wanted to get you on my show was because i know that you're very honest and real i've heard you on other podcasts and so i do my research you know and i understand kind of what the level is is that what you operate at and so i find that to be one of the best pieces of content that we can pull out of this conversation is the fact that you're not just out there to like, you know, it's quality over quantity. And I agree with you. I mean, there's good Lord. I turned on Netflix last night and, you know, th- there was another special on and I was like, okay, wow. You know, uh, I can't even keep up with it at this point because there's so many. And you're right. There's been others that I'm like, huh? I had no idea that that person was even doing stuff at this point. And, and it's funny that you say that because. I have another comic coming on next week, and uh, he did his special on Quibi, which is this new streaming platform, uh, and he sure. filmed it in the back of a bowling alley for like 100 people, and that was like his thing. I don't know if that was just because that's all he could get or creatively, like that's what he wanted to do, or he's just trying to kind of come back, you know, and, and Jamie Kennedy, I don't know if you know or are familiar with the name. But, uh, yeah, so he's coming on. They reached out to me and said, we want to do a spot on your show. I loved him as a comic. He was fantastic in the 90s. But he has even said himself, you know, he categorizes him like with Polly Shore and those guys who did all these things for years and then are still out there working. And, you know, he doesn't see any of that as a competition. So I think you're doing great, my friend. I'm excited to see what you've got coming out and. Uh, you know, I, I, I think the concept, I would actually like to watch that. So hopefully, uh, you know, Netflix comes to their senses one day <laughs> and says, uh, let's do something like that. I think Neil Brennan even did something different, right? Three mics or something like that, where sure, he yeah. kind of did this whole succinct performance, uh, going from one thing to another, from actual stand up, uh, to one liners to just commentary. Now I wanted to ask you, you talked about doing specials like yearly or every two years or three years. The pattern is what you do the clubs and then you do uh, what you do theaters and then you film the special. Is that kind of the pattern for getting something out like that? A one hour special? Uh, the way I've always done it is I will start from scratch, right? I, I don't handicap myself. I will just go and try to do as much new stuff as I can in the first 30 minutes and just take it on the chin. And then the back 30 minutes, I'll do kind of like a greatest hits thing for the audience um, so that they don't leave going, Jesus, that was awful. Because <laughs> the first three months when you're starting from scratch, it's awful. It's bad. It, it's it's really choppy water. So, so as you move on, progressively, the 30 minutes turns into maybe 40 minutes or 35 minutes of new stuff and then 25 minutes of old stuff and then you know, 40 minutes of new stuff and then 20 minutes of, of greatest hits. And so you slowly weed out the greatest hits until I have a great hour fully formed and in shape and ready to go. And once that's ready, um, we'll pick up the venue, we'll get, you know, production involved in everything. And then, um, yeah, I'll do, I'll, I'll definitely perform. I, I try to 
do it on a Saturday and then I'll perform somewhere Thursday. I'll run it Friday. I'll run it. And then Saturday we do two tapings usually. Um, and that process for me is I've always found is always taken me at least two, two and a half years, um, to do what I feel is a great bit. And, and I've always, I don't know why, but every single time I've done all four hour specials I've done, there's always been a bit that's happened two weeks before I film where I'm like, I'm so glad I waited because two weeks before I film, there'll be a great bit that will come out of that. That's fully formed and fleshed out. And I don't know why, maybe it's that mentality of like, you know, studying for the final the day before the <laughs> test in college or something. It just, it just magically kind of happens. So I, I've always been fortunate in that, in that regard of just getting one last kind of single hit, you know, a side, uh, before we go to work. And yet you make it look so effortless when you get up there and perform. And that's the thing that I find so mysterious. Well, from somebody like myself who doesn't do that, I would, I mean, I do a podcast. It's different because I'm in a studio. I'm behind a microphone. We're having a conversation. And so that is to me, obviously has taken time to develop, but I, I look I, for me, I look at it and go, man, and the bit that comes to my mind, and I say this because somebody said this to me earlier on a previous interview. You look good for 40, which is hilarious, by the oh. way. I love that. And uh, he said that to me. He goes, how old are you? I go, I'm 45. He goes, well, you look good for 45. I look like crap for 22. So it just, yeah. it's, it's, it's like snapped in my head. And I was like, hey, that's Steve's <laughs> uh, bit about, you know, you said something to the degree of if somebody says you look good at, for 19, well, you know, you're, you look like shit. But uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I have a five and a half year old, so I feel like I look a lot older than I really am. So to me, it's like he is just, he ages me daily. But I love it. Being a dad is the best thing in the world, and I'm sure you can attest. Right. Um, yeah. One last thing I kind of want to ask you about, and then we'll wrap up here, my friend. I know you've got a busy day ahead of you. We talked about a lot. We've covered kind of the some nuts and bolts of comedy, and we talked about Netflix. And every comic I have on, I always like to ask this question. We're kind of in an age now where going back, you hustled the clubs, you worked hard, you knocked it out at open mic nights, probably in some crazy places, I'm sure. And then you got your first special and that really launched you uh, and brought you to people's attentions. But now with these reality shows, you can come on and perform and it's almost like instant success, if that makes sense. Uh, what, what do you think about like that? Cause I've heard other people talk about it, but you know, does it give people a false sense of hope of what the industry could be like if they come out and they perform? And they kill the crowd one night, they kill the crowd the next night, but don't really have that experience of, you know, the hustle of the clubs. I know some of them do, but some of them don't necessarily, if that, if that question makes sense. Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. Look, it, it's fast food, right? America's got talent. It's it's McDonald's, it's Burger King, it's, it's you're getting a quick fix. And then, you know, if you win like a competition like America's Got Talent, you're in Vegas for one year. And, you know, how do you sustain that relevance? How do you how do you keep, you know, on people's minds and you can only have so much of a social media presence, I guess, uh, these days, and maybe you could do it via that, but, but to really stay relevant where the industry is also interested in working with you and ascending to, you know, a streaming platform or a network television, you know, what can you bring to the table? And I think 
a lot of those one-offs, it's kind of like, it, it's a quick fix, I, I think ultimately is what it is. And I think if you have the backstory, if you have the resume, if you've done the work and you're keeping to stay relevant uh, via, you know, being stand-up and, and branching off into television or film or documentaries or podcast or whatever, I think the cream rises to the top. I think, you know, comics for the most part are built for the long game. They're built for the marathon because if you can make it past those first two or three years where it's so, so brutal doing open mics and coffee shops and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's no worse venues to perform and worse circumstances to perform in under for a stand-up comic. And the rejection that you, the tolerance of rejection that you build up over those first few years is so, it's so overwhelming that I think once you get past that hurdle and, and you're past at a first club or you become a paid regular and then you feel some sense of like, okay, you've made it now. You, you're kind of in, you have your foot in the door I think once you get your foot in the door, then it's just a matter of going up the ladder. Every rung of the ladder is another mark of success. But I think if you're great at juggling and you can do kids' parties and you end up on America's Got Talent and that's your shtick, uh, how <laughs> how do you branch off from that? How, you know, I, I'm sure you've had a tough run too, but it's like where where do you go from that? Exactly. I, I just don't understand it. I mean, Terry Fator is probably the the anomaly right he's the one guy that that's ascended and become bigger than even america's got talent but but he also came up around the same time as you know he hit after jeff dunham's success and he became like a vegas state people dunham didn't want to do vegas and terry did and his show worked it just worked it's right place right time so he's there's always an outlier out there kelly clarkson is an outlier for american idol there's always going to be one. I don't think there has been an outlier for last comic standing. I think a lot of those comics that didn't win actually went on to become bigger than a lot of comics that did win. So, uh, it, you know, ultimately it's just a matter of perseverance and belief in yourself and doing quality and good work. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that about uh, last comic standing because I had John Reap on the show a couple weeks ago. And he talked about his experience on Last Comic Standing and how, you know, he had to work really hard to continue the relevance because back then there was no social media. There wasn't, you know, this other outlet for comics or podcasting really wasn't a thing. And so there's just this hustle, I think, that becomes an appreciation. And it's like a badge of honor, you know, if you can be a successful club comic and just work and become a paid regular and then maybe do theaters and then maybe do a special. But I appreciate your honesty, Steve, and just your candidness about your experiences as a comic and as a performer and writer. It's been a lot of fun, my friend. If people want to learn more about you or connect with you and watch your comedy or your specials, how, how can they do that, sir? Yeah, everything I have is at Steve Byrne Live. Um, my website, all the social media, at Steve Byrne Live, B-Y-R-N-E, the Irish Celtic uh, spelling of it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I mean, if you want to watch anything during these down days, I have a documentary on The Amazing Jonathan that's on YouTube. It's completely for free. Just type in Always Amazing. Uh, we're about to get 700,000 views in less than a year, so we're pretty happy about that. And, uh, and I have that, that feature film coming out called The Open Act that's going to come out this fall. And if you've ever wanted to be a stand-up, if you ever wondered what it's like to to be on the road, I mean, this is the film. It, it really is about 
you know, the, the experience, the all-encompassing experience of what it is like to show up on Thursday and go back home on Monday. Uh, so I'm really happy with it, and I can't wait for people to check it out. I'm excited. Steve, thanks for joining me on the show today. I really appreciate it. You got it. Thanks for the kind words, too. I really appreciate it. It was very sweet of you, and uh, continued success to you, and hope you stay safe and well. That brings today's episode to an end. Thanks for choosing to stop by and listen. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend and hitting the subscribe button. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. Until next time, cheers.